Hi, everyone. Welcome to Inclusive Collective, where we share stories and learnings of inclusive people, organizations, and innovation. I'm your co-host, Rob Hadley, people and culture strategist specializing in D&I and people analytics. I am joined by Nadia Butt, an organizational development and belonging strategist. Nadia, what is going on? How are you? What is good, Rob? You know what? It's the beginning of a good week. Last week was tough. Tough week. Tough week. Tough week, but I'm hoping for a good start. This yeah, morning. I know. You you know, I, I want to talk to you about that. Like we usually start with, we open up with, you know, what's your favorite ice cream or, you know, what's your best. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> what's your favorite color, Rob? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> a lot of sunshine and rainbows usually, but, you know, to give listeners some idea of how the magic is made around here. So very often we record this show on Friday, we edit it on the weekend, we release it on Monday. And that was the case in the previous episode last week. And after we recorded that episode, the police in Memphis released the video footage of uh, or showing the murder of 29-year-old Tyree Nichols after a, after a traffic stop. And so even after that was a big story over the weekend, when the show d- was downloaded, you know, there was no mention of it. And I wanted to share why, because it was obviously a very important big news story and something very relevant to what we talk about here every week. So, you know, now that there's been a little bit of time to reflect, I did want to at least just make it, just acknowledge that and, and make some space to, to chat about it a little bit. And um, I know you've done some work or at least adjacent to this sector. And so just wanted to get, you know, your perspective and any kind of reflections that you had over, over the last week or so. Oh, well, thanks, Rob. Um, well, the whole situation is devastating, right? Like I didn't personally watch the body cam video, um, which it felt like there was such like so much build up to it, which was like really odd to me. Um, it felt like there was like a new film hitting the theater and people were like getting stoked to watch it. So instead, I I chose to share on social media like a beautiful video of Tyree, um, his life like that was circulating around. Mm-hmm. So like like he was a father of a four year old son, was known to his family um, as an avid skateboarder and a photographer of nature, um, originally from Sacramento. Right before the pandemic, I believe he moved to Memphis and, and started a job with FedEx. Mm-hmm. Right you know, had been with that company for, I think, nine months before his murder. So I didn't, like I said, I didn't see the body cam video, but from what I'm understanding, what I was reading, I think what we're seeing is that fundamentally the problem with policing in America is not black versus white. It's a deep structural and institutional core issue. Um, Police reform is like not simply more training, mm-hmm. more training and or more cameras, body cams. You know, these are temporary solutions. I think what we're avoiding not looking at in this country um, is the actual problem, which is like the change in behaviors, mm-hmm. which stem from a change in mindsets and those like really deeply embedded biases that exist in this the system, right? Like the system of oppression that has been built over a long period of times, white supremacy mm-hmm. being one. Mm-hmm. I'll pause there and, and would love your kind of input too. No, I I I think that's all really well stated. And I think and I had the exact same thoughts. I didn't watch it either. I read the accounts, you know, and there's there's a lot of perspectives on whether 
whether you should be forced to, to, to watch it in order to honor what had happened. Um, I've heard both sides of it. And so, you know, it's, it's not something that I wanted to, to, to watch. Uh, and I had the same thoughts on the system, right? And so the fact that whoever you mm. put in that system, in, you know, whatever the system that we have in our country around policing, it's a very militarized police that we have, the criminalization that we have of poor people, the fact that people can be chased down for minor traffic violations and stops, the mm. fact that you know, we're heavily armed population where oftentimes the police is, is, are scared, you know, for their lives in these situations as well. But, you know, so these are the outcomes that we're going to have based on the system that we have created for ourselves. And it is a choice Great. that we have made yeah. in this country. Yeah. Now, I have been thinking about how we, you know, what can be done? What are the actions that can be taken? And I do think that we should, you know, for this show at some point, maybe, maybe do some, a conversation around policing as well, uh, because I definitely can't figure it out. The political system, you know, we'll talk about some of this in, you know, in, in the next segment as well. But our political leaders do not respond to the will of the people, right? And so I want to come back to this and hopefully look at uh, this a little bit deeper, maybe in another episode. Yeah. What's interesting is I actually know a lot of folks that work with policing um, institutions and do this work from an equity diversity inclusion lens and so yeah i think this would be great to kind of talk about moving forward definitely definitely shall let's we deets. let's go to the deets i will go first so there was a jury that awards one million dollars to an oregon woman who was told i don't serve black people after trying to get gas so <laughs> really interesting uh news bit here not so much nuance to there AP news yeah, yeah. right um, so according to AP News, a jury awarded the woman after finding um, she was dis discriminated against by a gas station employee. She had stopped for gas at a Jackson's food store. Never heard of this before. I think it might be a chain in Beaverton, um, Oregon, in March of 2020. And the attendant ignored her and instead pumped gas for um, another driver. Attendants are required to pump fuel for motorists at gas stations in Oregon. Um, after the incident, she complained twice to managers, managers, but her phone calls were disregarded and the employee was fired about a, a month later for other things he had been written up mm. for. I felt like I needed to add in those other layers because it, like he wasn't even fired for this particular situation where this woman called, I'm not advocating for someone to get fired for this because I actually think it could be a learning opportunity, a coaching opportunity. That being said, it's like there are so many layers to this that it's like, come on, like what is happening? So I just thought that was interesting, um, especially because last week we spoke to um, an attorney about workplace discrimination and um, just thought that was yeah, I think kind of in alignment with what we spoke with Samia Karmani. Yeah, this could be a rave, right? Like, I'm happy that this woman got her the big jury award there. The tip, I think that I think you hit it on the head. The fact that basically any all of this could have been avoided if the company had promptly addressed the issue with with the employee, right? Probably mm -hmm. by dismissing him. You say that you think that there's a growth opportunity. I'm not sure if, if someone says that they don't pump grass for black people. <laughs> I that there's a growth hope, opportunity Rob, for that particular know. person. That seems like that might yeah. be, they might be a little bit far gone, but you know, the company had to take action. So it's not always possible for companies, especially in the service sector, where it's very difficult to hire good people at this point. Uh, so it's not always possible to have the perfect workforce 
I get that. But the fact that in this case, they took yeah. no corrective action, that was what cost them a ton of money. So dismiss the employee Absolutely. and then reach out. If they had reached out to Mrs. Wakefield, this is the woman here, and apologize sincerely, that probably would have saved them about a million dollars. And I think that's pretty important. Yeah. Wild. All right. Another fun one. Not fun. All right. I'm sorry. Bring it I'm, on. I'm sorry. This is, a, this is kind of, uh, so this is another thing close to home. Uh, so Utah has banned doctors from providing gender affirming care for minors. Doctors cannot prescribe puberty blockers, hormone therapy, or cannot conduct any gender affirming surgeries and can be held criminally liable for doing so. This is something that passed uh, over the last week. So we always try to bring the news items back to what is, you know, what's the business angle. And for just for a second mm -hmm. there, I want to point about how how detestable I think that this action is on the part of this legislature. The legislature here in Utah is something like 90% Republican. They prioritize this legislation, which as far as I can tell is a healthcare issue between these families and their doctors over a long list of things that could be done and much more important for the state of Utah. And, you know, from a business perspective, I always think about, you know, it's very damaging from a competitiveness perspective. You have to realize that this state is so gerrymandered that elected representatives face very little competition for their seats. There's mm -hmm. no political consequence from yeah. targeting transgender health care uh, at the expense of other Wait, issues. does that mean that you're going to run for office? Uh, is that what I'm there's, hearing? Right? There's, there's no path to there's no there's no such thing as a competitive election. And so I, that would be an incredible waste of time for for everyone. Mm. <laughs> but it might be kind of fun. But I think it, so from a business perspective, I think the businesses should take this as a signal that in this state, right, like uh, the people this, that run this state are not serious about solving real problems, right? Like they are spending a lot of their time on these very political issues and really targeting people that are very vulnerable and there's very few of them. And so it's just really unfortunate. And of course, if you're a parent of a transgender youth, you can't live here, right? Like you can't mm. be in a place where you can't provide reasonable health care for your, for your kids. Right. So I think that's a, you know, it strikes me as really short-sighted and cruel. Yeah. It makes me really angry. Yeah. That's all I have because I'm just really annoyed with this and I don't have any other emotions just to after last week, it's like, we're, I don't even know. We had a tough so. week on the deeds front, didn't we? Yes, a really tough week. Um, but we have a really fun conversation coming up. So stay tuned, folks. We'll be right back with our guest, Tara Robertson. Stay with us. So this week on Inclusive Collective Podcast, we are so excited to welcome our guest, Tara Robertson. Tara is a leadership coach and a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant. She is an intersectional feminist who uses data and research to advocate for equality and inclusion. She brings nearly 15 years experience leading change in open source technology communities and corporate spaces, including three years leading diversity and inclusion at Mozilla. As a consultant, she partners with corporate leaders to help drive systemic change. As a leadership coach, she serves women of color in corporate careers to go from underestimated and overworked to unapologetic and wildly successful. I love this. Her work has been included in Harvard Business Review, Forbes, and other publications. 
Welcome, Tara, to Inclusive Collective Podcast. Thank you. Happy Friday. Happy Friday. <laughs> Same <laughs> well, to happy you. Happy Monday. <laughs> oh, Monday. Sorry. Monday. Happy Monday. <laughs> Hello, the future. It's Monday. Uh, it's great to have you. It's a pleasure to meet you. Thanks for joining us. I'm going to come in kind of hot with this first question here. I was mentioning to you that I live in Utah. And one of the things that's been on my mind, one of the things I'm trying to wrap my mind around, is the impact of laws like the one passed here recently and is also being similarly introduced in five other states banning gender affirming care for minors. I know you've led transgender inclusion work previously, and I think about it in the context of all these other aggressive right wing legislative maneuvers, whether it's banning reproductive health care uh, for women or removing African American history from the AP course curriculum. I know you're in Canada, but I know you work with a lot of US companies. And so I'm just wanting to get your perspective on what are you thinking about? What are your thoughts on how this will impact the workplace? Totally coming in hot. That's a big, good question. I feel like the pendulum is really swinging um, in some direction against things that I really care about and people that I really care about. Um, mm -hmm. I've heard um, trans activists and just trans people who aren't activists talk about gender affirming healthcare and access to healthcare. Like the goal isn't to convert youth into trans people, it's to have trans kids grow up to be trans adults. Hmm. And right. th there's a lot of stats around having access to gender affirming care, whether it's hormones, whether it's counseling and kind of those kinds of therapies or whatever, the whole gamut of what healthcare is. When we shift who can access that and when we make people's existence illegal or remove access to really important things, like that's going to cause a lot of problems. And the, the stats around suicide and bullying, um, like they're pretty clear. So yeah, it, it's really hard. I think there, there's also a lot of misinformation and disinformation happening where people are existing in a very different information reality than I am. Right. So I'm, I'm trying to have some kind of empathy and compassion to people who might be scared that bad things are going to happen to their kids. And mm -hmm. it's also just really confusing. So when I think about the meta picture, it's like, whose interests are, is this in? Like, what are we trying to do here? And like, what kind of agenda and what kind of future are we trying to build? And I want one where trans kids get to grow up and be safe and live their best life. I want one where we acknowledge all of our history, the good, the bad, and the ugly, and make some choices about how we want to go forward to build equitable futures. Like, I'm really excited about what's possible. Mm -hmm. um, and that also means women and people who need access, safe access to healthcare, including abortion and contraception and all of those things that that we have access to that. Right. All um, of the above. Yep. Yeah. Like that's the future that I am wanting and I'm concerned about some of the things that are happening in the present. Yeah. That's really that kind of a long winded yeah, answer I mean, to your big question. I know. Yeah. I tried to <laughs> warn leave you. Leave it up to Rob. I, I tried to warn you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> leave it, leave it to Rob to ask the, the, the wild uh, questions here, but really, really appreciate that answer. And, and I got to say, I really appreciate the work that you do, um, Tara, in terms of coaching and mentorship and sponsorship. You know, I remember when I first joined the workforce many, many moons ago, very early on in my career, there weren't many folks at all that I could tap on to form a relationship, 
with to be a mentor or have kind of that mentorship role. Um, of course, you know, I, I have worked for women, all white women, and for sure, they provided me with like great mentorship and um, opportunity for development. Uh, but oftentimes, like I felt that they couldn't really grasp some of the challenges that I faced being, you know, brown, being Muslim, being a woman, um, if I had a male manager. And right. So like I say this in jest, but like I'm a I'm a little serious about it. Like finding a mentor to me is like very similar to finding a therapist, so, like someone that really clicks with you. And I'm just curious, what would you say are like the ingredients or elements to cultivating a solid mentor mentee relationship with someone it's interesting because like i i just want to disambiguate between mentor sponsor coach and like manager yeah and like your please. manager can be your mentor or your manager can mentor you in things like when i think of mentorship there's an element of a mentor having a bit more experience or a different experience or having done something a couple of times before where they can share like the real experience of what it's like to do something for someone who it might be their first time or maybe their second time, or maybe they've done it, but in a different industry, who knows? Mm -hmm. So there, there's the an element of like knowledge and experience there. I've learned a lot from my mentor, um, Candace Morgan, who's at GV, a ton. Like I remember when I was struggling doing my first DEI strategy and she told me like how she did her first one and that also it was hard for her. And that really... I don't know, it gave me some concrete steps to move forward. And it also made me feel like, oh, like this actually is hard. And other people who I admire have struggled with this too. Sure. Um, I recently put out a call to mentor Black and Indigenous folks in the DEI space. Mm -hmm. And I was specific about that because I think like the, the stats, when you look at chief diver diversity officers, like about 70% are white, or maybe it's 80%. Mm -hmm. So even within this field of DEI, there's some inequities about access and experience and who gets sort of the experience or knows what the unwritten rules are. So I was deliberate about who I was making my offer to um, from an equity perspective and also wanting to pay that forward from my mentor and got 147 responses in 24 hours. So that's incredible. huh? And I have space to, to serve two people and be a mentor for two people. Mm. So my big takeaway is just that there's a real hunger especially for racialized women, especially Black and Indigenous women, to have someone who is going to bet on them and share their information and experience so that they can grow. Again, another long-winded response. Like, <laughs> no, I yeah, love mentorship, it. I love super important. <laughs> and understanding, like, diverse experiences or, like, what equity looks like there, too, also important. And when you're, and when you're working with companies and, and, and you advise them on sponsorship and mentorship, what is the state of sponsorship? How how are companies doing? What are things you're excited about? What's uh, you know what, where where are we at with sponsorship? So sponsorship, distinct from mentorship, it's like someone who has power. Whether it's like structural power, they've got organizational power, they've got cultural capital, whatever, and they're willing to speak your name and place a bet on you in spaces that you might not have access to, and. Getting those high-profile um, opportunities is what accelerates people's careers. So in an organization, you could have a mentor who's at your level. Maybe they're your manager. But a sponsor is going to be someone structurally who's like probably two levels above you 
who's in meetings that you don't get to go to and here has information and access to being like, you know what, Rob is someone we should let lead this next project. He's demonstrated all of these things and he's ready for this opportunity. Mm -hmm. Like a sponsor uses their capital to, to bet on you, to raise your name in rooms that you're not in, and then helps you make sure that you really succeed when you get that career defining opportunity. Absolutely. You know, we talk about sponsorship and mentorship. What about coaching? So like, how does an organization know their environment is actually conducive to coaching and receiving feedback from a leadership or say from a mentor mentee relationship, or even a, a manager leader perspective. And like what factors have to exist for that to be cultivated in the environment? The foundation is psychological safety. So mm -hmm. in a coaching coachy relationship with the people I work with, we design an alliance. Like we design what the relationship's going to look like, the container, how we're going to work together. Mm -hmm. um, and it has to be really empowered so that I can challenge people to do something that's audacious that might be outside their comfort zone. Yeah. Because I know that if it's really uncomfortable that they can say no or that they'll renegotiate that. Mm -hmm. um, so I think in an organization, when you have like the structural power and like the um, reporting lines and stuff, you need to make sure that there's a lot of psychological safety, um, which means that people can say no or say that they disagree with mm -hmm. you or share their half-baked idea to you without fear of judgment. Yeah. Um, or, re or retaliation or something like yeah. retribution, whatever it might be, of course. Yeah. I want to stick with coaching. Uh, so thanks for that. I like that. Um, you coach the senior leaders, as you said, outside of the organization. You offer a product called Dear White Leaders, Stop Shitting Your Pants on, on your website, which is at least the best consulting product name I've ever heard, at very, at very least. I'd just be interested from your perspective and you, you know, answer this any way you know it one. I assume there's no perfect answer, but have you seen collective growth in, in white male leaders over the last uh, you know, five to 10 years is the trend line going, you know, is the arrow pointing up in terms of growth within DEI? You, you can, you can be honest with me. I won't tell the other white male, however you want to answer it. Well, and it's not just white men, it's white women too. Um, oh, it's white leaders. Right. Right. Yeah. It's interesting right now. There's been a lot of layoffs in DEI mm. as companies, as there's been layoffs kind of in general, um, especially in the tech industry. So who knows what's going to happen with the economy in the next year um, and what that's going to mean for what companies invest in. But I think even if DEI gets put on the back burner, which it kind of looks like it, it has been for a lot of organizations, I'm still hearing white leaders say a lot of the same things around like, I really care about this and I completely believe that they do. You know, I've read all the books. I've done the 30-day anti-racism challenge and... I'm still stuck. I, I feel like physically uncomfortable um, when stuff's going on and I know I need to speak and I, I just can't do it. So the stop shitting yourself to me speaks to that visceral somatic like dissonance. Like I have these values and I want to show up this way. And when I, it's time for me to step up, I get stuck. Like mm. I'm, I'm, I'm deeply afraid of shitting my pants, of fucking up, of saying the wrong word. So then I say nothing, mm -hmm. which is kind of worse. Like if we're going yeah, back to psychological right. safety, it takes a tremendous amount of courage and humility to know, say, hey, I might get the words wrong or 
my language might not be perfect here, but I'm going to take a stab. And th this is what's important. I just want to name what's going on here. Um, that honesty, like, and that demonstration, like, of senior leaders on what it means to step up as an inclusive leader and take a stand for that. Like, I'm here to support those people. Um, yeah. The willingness to to put themselves out there and uh, lead with humility, like you mentioned. And um, it almost sounds like really, obviously, changing your behaviors, but really digging deep in terms of changing your mindset that then, you know, change your behavior. Do you see that being really a struggle for some of these leaders that you work with? So I'll just be really transparent. No one has, like, there's been a lot of interesting conversations around Dear White Leaders, Stop Shitting Yourself. No one has actually come and has enrolled in that coaching program yet. Um, I hope they will. Um, but I know what it's like when I'm in a, in a tough position and I want to do the right thing that honors my values. And I know it's going to be tough. Like, maybe the other, I'm worried that it's not going to land well with the other person. I'm worried that my own behavior hasn't been perfect. Like, and actually, like, right now I can feel my stomach going into knots. Like, mm -hmm. I think we can all think of situations we've been in where we're like, I know what the right thing is to do. I know what my values are here. And, like, it's really, really hard. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm not sure I have the courage to or... I'm just terrified I'm going to get it wrong. Mm -hmm. So I think, have you, have you both felt that? Always. <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> I mean, I th I think changing your mindsets and behaviors of something that you've been conditioned to think about in, a, in one way, and then you're challenging that mindset, right? I mean, this goes, this goes back to the components of unconscious bias and like how you unravel that and how you are not fast thinking and you slow down to really understand and grasp what it is that you know you might think is true um, but may actually not necessarily be reality and so I think it's I think for any individual that's so super hard to navigate I consider like many of the leaders maybe specifically white leaders um, that grapple with that in terms of like you mentioned that most of them probably rely on being more silent because it's easier to take that avenue than really face either the biases or the way that we show up with interactions and and decisions that we make that are full of bias um so i don't rob i don't know what you think about well i asked too. the question because i thought it was a powerful construct to, to just start with just making sure that people know that it's it's okay to to fail and i think that you know your your offer is i'll help you fail forward in a way that's uh that's that's somewhat safer there's a lot of folks that could really benefit from something like that and you know i do hope that that many folks will take you up on that and and uh and take advantage of the offer Absolutely. 2013 less people shitting their pants <laughs> yeah <laughs> 2020 i'm really transparent <laughs> yeah. oh yeah. <laughs> like i don't i don't always do the right thing by my own values and it doesn't feel good in the moment and I don't feel good about it after. Like there are days where I lack the courage to step up and do what I know is right. And those days, like it happens less and less. It still happens though. So like, I'm, I'm not someone who's got this, you know, I'm not perfect in this way either. Like I think we're all just kind of humans beautifully and messily humaning along like, mm -hmm. and leaders are humans. Sure. Like they're, they're not a different kind of person. Like we're all humans. So like let's keep growing and but 
let's get off the fence and let's stop pretending we don't know what's going on because and this goes back to the beginning rob around trans inclusion around anti-racism around owning and like daylighting uncomfortable histories in our countries and thinking about like what the futures we want like the stakes are high but like also how can we not invest in this like, right absolutely. right yeah it's a great point it's actually you know you talked about that we often don't necessarily able are able to act out our values it's actually rare to be able to do it at work often right like it's actually it's more likely than not that the work that people do will be unaligned in some ways with with their values whether that's a <laughs> that that may be a sad statement but uh, that's certainly something that i've observed i i wanted to switch gears but when we dishonor our values there's stress and we're, we end up pissed off and angry we end up going what am i doing and there can be health costs as well like mm-hmm. our body like it builds up in some way and we, we have a choice like you were going to go another direction yeah no i want to talk to so that's i'm getting my own coaching here from you so i appreciate that but i did want to talk about uh data in regards to DEI strategy, I know that you help clients use data to develop DEI strategies. You work with a lot of clients in tech and you know those that have a lot of great technical skills, they are very comfortable with data. I just wonder from your perspective, you know, what are the benefits of working with tech and data savvy clients in DEI? Do they, do they see the need to use more data to develop, to develop DEI strategies or is there some sort of a disconnect just to get, just to get your thoughts on that? I love working in tech because you make such an outsized impact on the world. I think for engineering organizations where they're using data to, to develop products, it makes sense to use that data internally to be like, how are we doing? Like, is the promotion path here equitable for folks? Mm-hmm. I think that one of the big advantages of using data, it helps you figure out like what problem you're trying to solve. Mm-hmm. So like people will say stuff around, you know, the pipeline's not that diverse. And it's like, well, let's look at the data. Is that true? Like, right. People always think about hiring around diversity, but the other part of the equation is attrition. Mm -hmm. So who's leaving? Mm -hmm. And is that at an equitable rate? And if not, why? The data is not going to tell you why, but it's going to tell you if you've got a problem there or not. So then you know what questions to ask next, or then you have the general idea of where where to start um, looking and talking to people. Very good. Tara Robertson, it's been such a pleasure. We always ask our guests for um, one resource that they would recommend related to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Would you like to share one with our audience? Yeah, so this is The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. Um, It's not a DEI resource per se, but she's talking about how do we design gatherings? So even the three of us right now, it's a gathering. Um, the, The way you reached out to me before, Nadia, and told me what to expect. Um, that we're here on this platform, kind of in the living room of your podcast. Um, it's all designed. Like, this isn't accidental. And mm-hmm. it made me feel like I, I know knew what was coming up. But I also didn't know the questions, which I think kept the conversation really real and dynamic. So we meet in lots of ways, like whether it's meetings or events or weddings, funerals, dinner parties. Um, so I think she's a really, really interesting person to read either her book on Instagram or her newsletter. I think she's got an online course now on gatherings, but I keep coming back to her work and just thinking, how do we design this gathering to be equitable and really welcoming? Mm, I love that. 
I love that. And I'll have to read that book. Um, thank you so much for that recommendation. Tara Robertson, we are so happy that you could have joined us here um, this week. Uh, thanks so much for joining us on Inclusive Collective. Stay with us, folks. We'll be right back with our Con Reflections and Raves and Rants. Welcome back, folks. We just finished chatting with Tara Robert Robertson. Um, Rob, wasn't she great? What, like, I loved all everything she had to say about coaching and mentorship and sponsorship and just a lot of the programs that she's working on or has worked on. Um, what was some, what was like a takeaway you had? Yeah, I think. And so it was great to talk to Tara and someone that we wanted to talk to for a long time. I think that, you know, I was obviously very keyed in on the, the white leaders coaching that she offers. And I think the others should take advantage of. And obviously it was an irresistible thing that I saw when, when reaching out to her, when, when, trying to understand what work she was doing. And I think that, and then, you know, I made the mistake of, I think probably because I am a white male of, of centering on the fact that I, I thought it was around white males, but you know, there is a, a really important thing where we, you know, that we, we sometimes gloss over and the fact that um, white women who also have enjoy, you know, a lot of success in the corporate world, and their role in in bringing everyone along and and reaching right. out and sponsoring and mentoring women of color as well. And so um, I, I think Absolutely. it's you know I hope that uh, many people take advantage of it. We'll post the link to that as well in the show notes. And you know hope that Tara can come back and, and and spend some more time with us again. Absolutely. Uh, so Rob, do you know what time it I is? I know what time it is. We did the coin toss and you are ranting today. So you're going to go first. Oh, I'm ranting. Because we don't okay. Like to end. I'm going to. Oh, did you want to nah, rant? I'm gonna, I mean, I'm going to rant mean, and rave. I'm going to rant and rave. But oh. be, and this, this segment's okay. lost all meaning because I just do whatever I want, like on this segment. Okay. That's, <laughs> that's so true. But you it's, do you. So my, my rave is it's Black History Month. That's yes. it. That's the whole rave. But by okay. the, the part where it kind of diverges. I think it's really important and just a little suggestion here, a little free of charge, a little advice for organizations that are conducting Black History Month events or if they're kicking off Black History Month. I think that the best way to kick off Black History Month is to take a step back and whatever you're doing, if you're doing a video, if you're doing an event, start with this is the progress that we've made on our DEI initiatives from last Black History Month to this one, right? So have a very nice, uh, very tidy accounting of all the great things that you said you were going to do last year and that you have made progress on this year, right? So what a, what a, what better that. way to yeah. kick off Black History Month than show all the it's great, great progress? It's great. So transparent. Transparency, yeah, right? I love it. So that would be the only way I would kick it off. Um, and my rant, just really quick, <laughs> um, yeah, just an update on my rave from last week where I was super excited about my Denver Broncos and the five black men that they were interviewing for their head coaching yeah. job. So do you want to know what happened? I they hired a 59 year old white man to be coach. So I'm going to have Asad. Are you I'm going to have Asad bleep this motherfucker of all the things. I just wish that they would have backed me up. I'm such a good fan and they couldn't even let me Wait, have this. One I thought thing. there were five people in the camp. Wait. <laughs> Are you serious? There's a lot to it, but it's just I, you know, I went on a limb and praised them for 
for their yeah. for their five finalists that were black men, and I had never happened before, and they they somehow ended up hiring a fifty nine year old white man. So, okay, well, there's that. So <laughs> go Broncos. There you go, go Broncos. All right, what's up? Okay, well, let's end with my rave. Um, so I wanted to end our episode today in celebrating the life. Of Ed Shine. Oh. Um, Ed Shine was a giant in organizational theory. He was a professor at MIT Sloan School of Management. He was an author of many books, including Humble Books. Um, one of my favorites, Humble Inquiry. Um, he co-authored multiple books and articles with his son Peter. He's cited in many of my graduate and postgraduate uh, literature and work. His culture model is used in organizations across the globe detailing espoused values and underlying assumptions that we have. He passed away January 26th, so I'm thinking of his family. We celebrate him and the contributions he left behind, a tremendous loss to the organizational development and cultural world. That's great. And we talked a little bit about psychological safety with Tara Robertson and you know a lot of the work that a lot of that work really rests, I feel like, on the shoulders of the work that Ed Shine has been doing for a really long time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Well, very good. Thanks so much, Nadia. Let's go ahead and say that Thank Inclusive you. Collective is a production of Refillion Media. We'd love to hear from you. So send us your feedback at inclusivecollective at refillion.com. You can also find us on LinkedIn, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok for now. If you like yeah. what you heard, please be sure to subscribe and rate us wherever you get your podcast. If you want to get in touch with either of us for consulting, check out Nadia at nasconsultants.com and Rob at decanoconsulting.com. Thanks again to our guest, Tara Robertson. We can't wait to see you all next week. Thanks, Nadia. Thank you. Be well.